I'm Peter Bonner McNess, and he is Chris Lang. And welcome to another of these regular property briefings. And a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, once again, it's great to be with you. Several times now, we've included some tips on negotiating. However, I thought it might be helpful for our listeners to explore the difference between an impasse, a stalemate, and a deadlock. To me, they sound more or less as though they're the same thing. So, could you perhaps shed some light on how they might differ? Well, let's deal with the first of those situations. And let's suppose that you're partway through and negotiating the purchase of an office building, which you feel is probably worth, let's say, $1.1 million. Now, the selling agent tells you the owner won't accept anything less than $1.2 million. And if you're not ready to pay that, then there is not much point in us continuing on. So you see an impasse occurs when you reach absolute disagreement, which shapes to derail the entire negotiation. Now, this comment by the selling agent suggests that they're saying, if you can't live with that, we've got nothing left to talk about. Now, to the inexperienced negotiator, this seems like an absolute deadlock with no more discussion possible. Whereas to the master negotiator, they realise immediately that it's nothing more than an impasse. Whereas a stalemate takes place when progress with the negotiation begins to stall, although you're still talking to one another. Whenever things get bogged down with a face-to-face negotiation, you need to alter the dynamic somehow. And therefore, you need to have a toolkit to cope with that. Would you be kind enough to walk us through some of those points? Okay, well, my first suggestion would be simply to take a breather. Now, that might sound rather trite, but often it's all that's needed for you and the other party to sort of gather your thoughts, probably say face in in some instances, while subtly changing from an earlier stance in the negotiation. Now, If you know a negotiation is going to extend over a long period, it's often useful to agree in advance to have hourly breaks. And that way you will better be able to stay on top of your objectives and so will the other party as well. The second thing you would do is try and separate out fact from fiction. You see, quite often you need to distinguish the hard facts from some of the more fictitious statements that are being made by verifying information rather than merely accepting it at face value. Now, dealing in facts is the key to reaching your desired outcome. So you need to evaluate the facts and determine their relevance and then just present sound arguments to counter any inaccuracies that you're being given. And then leading on from that, you need to identify any grey areas. Sometimes there may be some areas that you can't easily label as fact or fiction. Sometimes you simply lack sufficient information to make the call and you may need to reconvene 
at a later date so that you can fill in those gaps. Because otherwise, you'll find yourself unable to make or take a clear position simply because of these sort of fuzzy areas. What else do our listeners need to consider? Well, one of the most important things is to keep your anger in check. Now, as much as you may feel justified or goaded to do so, threats are really unacceptable and disrespectful. So when your anger prevents a negotiation from progressing, you need to put this emotion aside. You'll find simply by introducing a third party sometimes, you can completely alter the dynamics of a negotiation and thereby prevent the earlier anger from resurfacing. But understand that anger is generally a reflection of the importance of the issues involved and sometimes you might need to tackle a fresh issue in order to diffuse the present anger that exists either with you or the other party. So, And this third party is not a mediator. This is just someone such that if the person you're negotiating against is being outlandish, they're a little embarrassed when there's a third party involved. Another thing you might do is to try to reach agreement in principle. I mean, there are times when emotions and words tend to get in the way. So either or both of you might be so intent on getting across a specific point or resolving what's really a minor issue that you momentarily allow yourselves to lose sight of the bigger picture. However, if you can just come to an agreement in principle, then you can both start to move forward to your objectives and improving your chances of a mutually satisfying outcome. You see, all you need to do is slightly change your approach without actually altering your intent. And then you might look to regroup and evaluate. Now, whether you're negotiating alone or part of a team, sometimes you reach a point where you need to pause the negotiations to allow everyone to evaluate what has been achieved by both parties so far. Now, it's important for you to note down the positives. Make a a realistic assessment of where you are and what ground you've covered. And that way you can accurately gauge your progress and then see whether your initial objectives ought perhaps be reprioritised. You'll find this exercise can actually engender renewed enthusiasm and it will help you to refocus attention and your efforts towards your real objectives. But there's an even more interesting side benefit. Issues that have been defying resolution may now seem not all that important. And more often than not, the very same process will also occur on the other side. And as such, both of you will invariably resume talks with a renewed focus on what are your main objectives and no longer be distracted by earlier side issues. It sounds as though there are still more steps we can take. Well, sometimes you need to seek new information to add insight to what's going on. And it may be the case that during the planning stages of your negotiation, there might have been 
something you overlooked or simply chose not to consider. And this could occur during the initial discussions with the other side. And so sometimes you may need to look for new information that will help bring new insight to your objectives. And by thinking creatively, you'll find that you can often circumvent the impasse that you appear to be reaching and stopping you obtaining agreement. Now, I mentioned bringing in a third party before, but that was more just to change the dynamics. Sometimes you bring in an outside independent person. Now, often it makes perfect sense to get help because by bringing in someone from outside, that person can objectively hear both what you are presenting and the other party as their respective positions. And this third person can then give their take on the situation and provide each of you with some fresh ideas on how an agreement might be reached. So it's a more mediator role. Now, always seek outside help whenever discussions are seriously deadlocked and both of you genuinely want a satisfying outcome. More on that perhaps in a moment. The next thing you need to consider is that you need to know when to back down. Now, of course, you go into every negotiation you expect to achieve your first best outcome on every issue. But never enter a negotiation with only one acceptable outcome in mind. You see, being a good negotiator means that you also have a second best outcome as a fallback position. Because negotiation is democracy, not autocracy. And knowing when and how you need to compromise is the key. Now, if you've given it your best shot on a particular issue and come away with at least your fallback position, then you ought not feel unsatisfied with the outcome. And if all else fails, what final things could you do? Well, one thing you could do is suggest a different venue. Now, I know that probably sounds too basic, but simply changing the location of the negotiation can often help get the ball rolling again. Now, maybe the noise level or even just the general ambience of the location could be contributing to your lack of progress. And to help get the negotiation back on track, offer to hold the talks at the other party's location as a sign of good faith. But generally, just moving to another location, you'll find will be sufficient. Now, the next thing perhaps you ought to consider is you have to have work the distinction between objectives and position. Now, even seasoned negotiations can allow themselves to become locked into a position and actually lose sight of their overall objectives. If you find the other side doing this, look beyond their position to the underlying issues concerned, and by doing so, you'll probably find a way to progress things. And sometimes it can be rather challenging to unearth the other side's objectives. But you'll often find it quite revealing when you do. You see, by innocently asking why they hold a particular position, you'll discover their actual reasons, some of which might be quite irrational. And now they've actually had to explain them to you, those reasons may now sound quite foolish even to them. And... Perhaps one final thing is 
Sometimes you need to start the creative juices flowing. And when all else does fail, agree to embark on a brainstorming session where the ideas generated are not binding unless both of you later decide to embrace them. You need to come up with options that may seem unlikely, maybe even impossible at first, but nonetheless, it's important to welcome ideas that might initially sound quite ridiculous. And if nothing else, you'll both allow yourselves to loosen up and in the process you'll hopefully find some common ground upon which you can then forge some sort of agreement. So how do you deal with the deadlock? Yes, I was wondering when you get back to that and I sort of flagged it in an earlier answer that I come back to this. Really the only way to successfully resolve a deadlock is to bring in a third party, but this is as a true mediator. And while you may have briefed the mediator as to where you wish to end up, he or she should open by saying, I haven't had a chance to really get across all the issues involved. Perhaps you could both start by explaining your positions and then let's see if there's any middle ground. Now, these phrases immediately convey an even-handedness and shows no bias towards either side. And having achieved the first concession from you, the mediator then looks to obtaining a similar concession from the other side on a separate issue. And then once some momentum returns, you will find that you will end up with a win-win outcome fairly quickly. Well, I don't know about everyone else, but I found that fascinating. Well, look, I realise this can seem rather daunting, but with a little practice, it becomes more or less second nature. And to help with that, we'll include a summary of the 12-point plan I mentioned below so our listeners can download it. Yes, that would be very helpful. And thanks once again. My pleasure.